Well, take your Bible this morning and look to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to look with us uh, at that chapter on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Certainly, it is the focal point of our faith. The resurrection, as you well know, is attacked. Uh, Some people still in our day ridicule it, and they are constantly seeking to explain it away both then and, uh, you know, both then in the biblical times as well as now. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, in verse 18, it talks about the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. It says there in Acts 17 that they conversed with him, and that was with Paul, and they said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said that he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because, and here's what they said of Paul, he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. In other words, just because he preached that, they titled him a babbler. But the truth of Scripture, you know this Grace Church of the Valley, is that the apostles preached the reality of the resurrection. It says in Acts 4, let it be known to all of you that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, it says in Acts 4, whom God raised from the dead. I mean, over and over throughout Scripture, Christ is stated to be raised from the dead. In fact, in that texture in, look at Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that famous verse, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, verse 4, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. There it was. That is the Gospel. In fact, Paul said, That's of first importance what I received from Christ that I gave to you that Christ died and that He was raised on that third day. Then what happens there in 1 Corinthians 4 down through 8, Paul gives just a masterful defense of the resurrection. And the defense, you'll note, is one of an eyewitness account. So not only did he, did he rise, if you will, from the grave, but he was seen. In fact, look at verse 4, or 5. It says that he appeared in 5 to Cephas, of course, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared in verse 6 to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I mean, just think about it. I mean, in, in this room, I think the little theater holds about 443 seats. It's pretty packed. But just at one time, did, did hear the risen Christ appear. And he, when he writes this in Corinthians, he even says most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then it says in verse 7 that he appeared to James, and then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He appeared to the apostle Paul. And so this is proclaimed. This is believed, if you will. In fact, look what Paul said in 1511. He said there, whether then it was I or they, would be, I would think, the apostles. He said in verse 11, so we preach and so you believed. That's what they believed. 
They believe that he died, was buried, raised, and on that third day, they believe that. However, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 is interesting because look what it states there. It says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, he's proclaimed, but some of you say, and who the some or how many were saying that, we can't be sure. But the Corinthians, some of them, to say the least, were confused about the resurrection of Christ. How do some say that he's not been raised? I mean, there's a number of things at work here in the book of 1 Corinthians, and specifically in chapter 15. It could be that some of them said that, that Christ was raised spiritually. And it wasn't so much about his physical bodily resurrection from the grave. The thought that his spirit was raised was what matters. It could be that some of the Corinthians thought that was maybe the case. There were other people, at least when we read in church history, that believed the resurrection of the body was absurd. There are people who believe that today. In fact, some were even to have said that they thought that to reunite the body with the soul was to shut up it in prison again. In fact, one philosopher said back in biblical times that the hope of the resurrection is the hope of swine. And so on the one hand, Paul preached it. But there were some, at least in the church at Corinth, that were confused by the physical, bodily resurrection. Now that shouldn't surprise us because in the New Testament, false teachers would downplay that and discount the bodily resurrection. In fact, it says of a certain group of false teachers that their talk in 2 Timothy 2.17 will spread like gangrene, among whom are a man by the name of Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have, who have swerved, he said, from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And Paul says they've upset the faith of some. And so what Paul does here in 1 Corinthians 15 is he writes to address the theme of the physical, literal, bodily resurrection of men from the grave. And it's interesting how he does this. I'll just take Paul's thought and track with you on it. He reveals in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20, what happens to the gospel message if you deny the resurrection. If some were saying he really didn't rise, he's going to show you the disastrous results to the gospel if when you don't believe in the resurrection. If Christ didn't rise, then what? And so he takes kind of a rather backdoor approach to the text here, okay? And what he does is he gives us six disastrous consequences of denying the physical bodily resurrection. He gives six ifs, he'll use that phrase, if you deny the bodily resurrection of Christ. And once you begin to deny these, the theological dominoes fall one after the other. It is absolutely disastrous to our faith. So let me just move quick. Here's what happens if we deny the resurrection. Here's the first disastrous result. Look at verse 13. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The first disastrous result, if you deny the resurrection, is this. Then our preaching is in vain. I mean, if Christ didn't rise, and that's a key point here, if Christ didn't rise, which he claimed to do, then what Paul is saying here is the gospel is bogus. The gospel itself, the message of the good news, is worthless. It's empty is what the word vain means. And when he talks about here, our preaching is in vain, he's not so much talking about the active preaching, which I am doing right now. Paul's talking about the content of preaching. In other words, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then the, and the heart of the gospel is the resurrection, what Paul's saying, if the message is false and he didn't rise, then why preach? Why preach the gospel? Why believe the gospel? If you don't believe that Christ raised from the dead, that is the substance and core of the gospel, one of the key point, points there, then why would you even go about preaching? In other words, the entire validity of the gospel rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. If there is no resurrection, then preaching, the act of it, would be useless, it would be empty, it would be empty of truth, it would be empty of power. There is no gospel without the resurrection. There is no salvation without the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then certainly I would say of myself, then I've wasted my entire life. And I've been doing this for 30 years. And that's nothing. Paul would say, I've wasted my life, and every preacher down through the ages has wasted his life if there is no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then preaching is vain. But if you deny the resurrection, secondly, not only is our preaching in vain, but our faith would be in vain. Look at verse 14 again. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And then he says this, and your faith is vain in vain in fact glance down at verse 17 if christ has not been raised he says your faith is futile in other words if you deny the resurrection of jesus christ not only is preaching in vain but here secondly your faith is in vain in other words building off that first point if the gospel is bogus then so is the faith that the gospel produced If preaching is in vain, then obviously putting your faith in a dead man would be equally useless and vain. And what that would mean, beloved, if you just take this as he wrote it, that would mean all those who have come before you in the faith are their faiths in vain. I mean, you can just begin to imagine the ramifications. If he didn't rise, then your faith is in vain. Everybody who's come before you Their faith is in vain. You can go all the way back to the scripture. Their faith is in vain. I'm thinking of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. When it says that those heroes were stoned. It says in Hebrews 11 that they were sawn in two. 
They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. The point would be that all those who through faith held on to God's promises were fools. In other words, their faith was in vain. If Christ is not raised, then just extrapolate it out a little bit further. All the martyrs that have died in church history are in vain. All the martyrs that have died in the New Testament and the apostles, their faith would have been in vain. Our own day, the examples of those who have walked before you, their faith would be useless and foolish and so forth if there's no resurrection of the dead. So Paul's here just building this argument. Here's the disastrous results if you deny this truth. Why preach, number one? And secondly, your faith would be in vain. Thirdly, here's the third disastrous result. If you deny the resurrection, the apostles would be false witnesses. Look at verse 15. They would be false witnesses. Paul says, we, and I would think he's apostolic authority there, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom if he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And so he just says, listen, if Christ was not raised, then we would be a liar. All the apostles would be liars. All the apostles would be bearing false witness to an event that never took place. They testified that they had seen Christ. They had testified that they had touched Christ. They said throughout the Gospels that that he rose. They said that they saw him. So then if he did not rise, they are all, beloved, false witnesses. They are all, Paul is using this type of logic, liars. And beloved, frankly, if the the apostles lied about the resurrection, then why believe the rest of the New Testament? The simple, profound truth is that the New Testament stands or falls on the apostolic witness. I mean, we've already read that he appeared to Peter. Are you going to tell me that Peter is a liar? He appeared to the twelve once they put Matthias in there. Are they all lying? He appeared to 500 brethren at one time. Did they all lie? Did James lie? Did the apostles lie? Is Paul lying? Are you going to say these are all false witnesses? It's all a lie? Listen, if you deny the resurrection, then preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Your witnesses would be false. And fourthly, if you deny the resurrection, the fourth disastrous result is that your sins remain unforgiven. I mean, if he wasn't raised, then you're still in your sins. Look at the text. Look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. I mean, obviously. So what's the implications of the resurrection? Or if he didn't rise, at least in Paul's words, listen, it's disastrous. You're still in your sins this morning if he did not conquer the grave. If Christ didn't conquer sin, 
then sin conquered him. And if sin conquered him, you're still captive in your sins, is the thought. In fact, Paul uses it this way in Romans 4.25. It says there that Christ was raised for our justification. Justification, that biblical word, just means that your sins are forgiven. It means that Christ's righteousness is added to you. That when God, if you will, in a legal act, in a court of law, declares you righteous before him, he removes all of your sin from you. And then he adds into your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We were, he was raised for our justification. But listen, without the resurrection of Christ, there is no justification And without justification, there is no living faith. And without living faith, there is no forgiveness of sin. Beloved, this is disastrous if he didn't rise. If Christ remained under the power of death, how could he ever deliver you from its power? If Christ had not been raised, you this morning would still bear the guilt of your sin you would still be under condemnation. You would still be unforgiven for your sin. It would be disastrous. I mean, our faith is built off this doctrine. Number five, though, he says here, if you deny the resurrection, then your deceased loved ones have perished. Your deceased loved ones have perished. Look at verse 18. Here's what happens. Here's the the fifth disastrous result. He said, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. Sleep, I think you well know, is an expression of death for those who have died in the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then those who have gone before you, Paul just profoundly says, have all perished. I mean, think about the implication of that. A denial of the resurrection would mean that all your loved ones who trusted Christ have perished. All the mentors, all the grandmothers, all the grandfathers, all the pastors, all the disciples, all the biblical teachers. Listen, if there is no resurrection... Paul says all those people who modeled truth for you, taught truth for you, they've all perished is the thought. In other words, you can extend that further. When I say perished, he just means they're in hell. That means Moses would be in hell. It means that David would be in hell. It means that all the prophets are in hell. It would mean that the apostle Peter is in hell. It would mean that James is in hell. It would mean that John the apostle is in hell. It would go to church history. It would say that Luther is in hell. It would say that Calvin is in hell. It would say that Charles Spurgeon is in hell. It would say that your godly parents and grandparents who introduced you to Christ, they're all in hell. They've all perished. I mean, this would be disastrous is the thought. I mean, if the dead are not raised and Christ didn't rise, if you will, then you're still in your sins when you die. And that would be absolutely disastrous. This is a core cardinal doctrine of our faith. But there's a sixth feature there, and you've set your eyes on this before. Here's the sixth disastrous result. If you deny the resurrection, then our faith is pitiful. That's what it says in verse 19. Look, verse 19 in your Bible. If in Christ we have hoped... We have hope in this life 
only, then we are a people most to be pitied. Frankly, beloved, you can read it as it is. Without the resurrection, then you of all people, of the seven billion people living and breathing, ought to be pitied. Because your life would be meaningless. Your life would be empty. If Christ didn't rise, you and I have wasted our lives. I mean, frankly, why battle against temptation? Why battle for purity? Why battle against sin? Why seek to mortify the flesh? Why seek to be holy? I think what Paul's saying is, listen, if you deny the resurrection, this is a disastrous result. You are a people and your faith is to be pitied, is the thoughts. Why endure suffering? Think of all the godly biographies you've written or read. Think of all the things and all the people that you've loved in the faith. Think of all the people who have talked to you about the faith, who have sacrificed. Think about all the money that some of you have given to the Lord's work. Listen, if, if he's not raised, then we're a pitiful people, if you will. In fact, look over in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. He's still speaking on the resurrection. He says... In verse 32, same chapter, he says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beast at Ephesus? Now, stop there just for a second. You'll think, what is that? I mean, he could either be talking physical beast. What do you think? I mean, is he just saying, listen, I fought with some wild beast? Uh, It could be that he was talking some kind of, but it's most likely that he's talking about the Ephesian false teachers as he was in giving the truth, he likened these people to beasts. But he just says there, look at it again, what do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with the beast at Ephesus. If the dead are not, ra- not raised, look what he says. Let us eat, drink, and drink, for tomorrow we, what? Die. In other words, just go on. Just eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, we are fools if Christ is not raised. The gospel, beloved would be a colossal fraud, and we would be the most pitiful lot ever assembled on the face of the earth. Listen, if you deny the resurrection, here's the disastrous results. Our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. Our witnesses are false. Our sins are unforgiven. Our deceased loved ones have perished, and our faith is pitiful. But praise the Lord, that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he lives today, amen? Look at the text there in verse 20. I ran through those quick because I didn't want us to, you know, I'm following Paul's argument, but look at verse 20. He says, but in fact, I love that statement, Christ has been raised from the dead He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's the first fruits and a down deposit, if you will, of all who will come after him. And the truth is, the fact is, verse 20, he's been raised from the dead. The apostles declared it. They were eyewitnesses of it. The tomb is empty. He is alive. So let me just state the truth of the resurrection in light of some affirmations, okay? Say, what do you get because of this truth? Well, I'll just follow the opposite order here. The first affirmation is this. Far from our preaching being in vain, our preaching is powerful. In other words, because he was raised from the dead, the gospel is true. He is the Son of God. 
He is the Savior of the world. And as we speak even now, He is alive. I love that refrain by the Apostle John. Go read it this afternoon or tonight. When he was caught up, you remember, on the island of Patmos. And on that island of Patmos, he was taken up in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then he turned and he saw the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ beaming in all of his glory in that vision. And John says in Revelation chapter 1, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. In other words, he was so stunned by the risen, resurrected, powerful, glorified, majestic Lord that when he saw him on that day, he fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. We would have probably been shaken in our boots, right? I mean, when he saw Christ, he just dropped, if you will. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Praise God that he's alive, amen? Listen, here's the first affirmation is that our preaching is purposeful, okay? Second affirmation is this, or our preaching is powerful. Second affirmation is our faith is purposeful. You don't have a faith that's in vain, not in any way. Jesus said this in John 5, 25. He said, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear, John 5, 25, will live. Oh, there's coming a day. Your faith isn't in vain. Your faith is purposeful. You're going to hear his voice at the second coming. And he said, those who hear it will live. And then Jesus said, as you know, in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the what? Life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Listen, far from your faith being in vain, You have a purposeful faith. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he promised that where I am, you may be also. Your faith is the most relevant thing on the face of this earth in a world of illusion, in a world of Hollywood, in a world of make-believe, in a world of Disney productions. You have a faith that stands the history of time and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the third affirmation. Not only is our preaching powerful, our faith purposeful, but thirdly, our witnesses are pure. In other words, you're reading, you're holding the Bible. You're holding the book of the apostles. And to be an apostle, you had to have some pretty significant credentials along your side. First of all, you had to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the other credentials of an apostle is you had to be a witness of his, what? Resurrection. You couldn't be an apostle if you didn't witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it says in Acts 1.22, because Judas killed himself and they had to replace Judas with an apostle by the name of Matthias. And it says that we were all witnesses of the resurrection. Listen, your witnesses are pure. Are you going to argue with them? Are you really going to argue with the apostles? Are you going to argue with their eyewitness accounts? Are you going to be smarter than the apostles and say, I don't really think that happened? 
I really wasn't there. They were there. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, it's a disastrous result. If not, because then they've witnessed and they're false witnesses. But he's actually saying here, but he has been raised. And so our witnesses are pure. They said this in Acts 2.32. This Jesus, God rose up again to which we are all witnesses. They all saw him. They all saw him. It says in Acts 3.15 that you, preaching one of the apostles, killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, it says there, we are all witnesses. In other words, GCV, we can trust them. Beloved, don't forget they died for the truth. All of them. All of them. I mean, you don't think they're going to write something and say, hey, we really didn't see them. Or do you think their life was so transformed by the resurrection when they beheld him, when they touched him, when they saw him, when they ate with him, when they dined with him? Listen, you hold in your hand the Bible, which is the word of God. And the word of God was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors. You're holding the account of an eyewitness. You don't think they said, hey, we don't really think he raised and you know what, let's fabricate this. No, I'll tell you what happened. These guys were shaken in their boots after he died on the cross and he walked through the room and appeared to them and he said to rejoice that he's alive. And it so transformed their life that they became powerful preachers of this truth and their witness is pure, beloved. They're eyewitnesses. Now, there are people today who tell me I don't believe in the resurrection and I feel like saying, who the heck are you? There's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of people who are pretty prideful. Well, I, I really wasn't there. I know you weren't there, but let me show you some guys who were there. And so you have to grapple with this. You're holding in your hand the Bible, which is the word of God, and it's true. And so our witnesses, far from being false, are pure. But there's a fourth affirmation. I'm just walking down because verse 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised. The fourth affirmation is this, is that our sins are pardoned. Remember, the disastrous result was our sins are unforgiven, but here, in the fourth affirmation, because of the resurrection, our sins are pardoned. In other words, they're forgiven. Christ's death paid the penalty of our sins. His death satisfied the justice of God. And His resurrection from the grave validates our forgiveness. In fact, that's what it says in Romans 4.25. I alluded to earlier. He was delivered over because of our transgressions. And he was raised because of our justification. Beloved, for your sins to be forgiven, Jesus Christ had to be raised from the dead. And because he's been raised from the dead. And because you've placed your faith in him, your sins are pardoned. It means as you sit here, beloved... All your sins are forgiven. All of them. I've shared that with you before. Past, present, and future. They're all forgiven based on the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his subsequent resurrection on the third day. Listen, if you're here without Christ, um, I'm so glad you've come. But listen, if you have not trusted Christ, then you're still in your sins. The glory is truth. Why? Christians are so happy on Easter Sunday. There's just joy there. And one of the joys is this, that he's pardoned all your sins. 
He's forgiven them all. And some of you might walk around a little gloomy. You shouldn't. You should walk around just saying, out of 7 billion people, he chose me. He gave me faith. He took me and forgave all of my sins. And you begin to list them and name them. And you begin to think of all the things you've ever done, all the things you've done even this week that you need to ask forgiveness. But listen, every sin that you'll ever commit in the future, he's forgiven based on his death and based on his resurrection. All your sins are pardoned to the point where Paul would say in Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no what? Condemnation. You're here, you don't have to feel like the axe and the, you know, the, 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 the spear of God is after you. Once he's forgiven you, he's made you his child. He's forgiven you all your sins. And what forgiven means is it's the Greek word aphiame. And aphiame just means to let go. It means to be released of. So here's the simple, profound gospel is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and our fist is tight like this. But when you come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, he lets go of your sin and joins your hand to the hand of a holy God. But only he can do that. Only he can remove your sins. But listen, because of the power of the resurrection, here's that glorious truth, as we said, is that our sins are pardoned. That's Something to be excited about, right? But there's a fifth affirmation. Our loved ones, far from being perished, if you will, our loved ones are placed in heaven. They're placed in heaven. In fact, look down at 1 Corinthians 15, down to verse 55. You've seen this before. Oh, sting, or excuse me, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your what? Sting, right? In other words, he's, he's taken it away. Paul speaks of our loved ones being placed when he says his death is gain in Philippians 1.21. He said in Philippians 1.23, the desire to depart and be with Christ is better than life. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians 15.52. Here's the promise. Shea was talking about the promises of God. Here's one. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. In a moment, in the trumpet of the sound, or the, with the sound of a trumpet, the dead are going to be raised. That's a promise of Scripture. I'm holding on to that promise. You're holding on to that promise. And all those people who lived godly before you are holding on to that promise. And you say, well, what happened? When do we get this new body? When will we be changed? You'll be changed and get the new body at the second coming of Jesus Christ. But at death, the believer's soul immediately parts to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, look over to 1 Corinthians 15, 54. There's another, another grand statement when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal, that's us, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In other words, it's gone. He said the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a precious truth. 
And so we await that day for a new glorified body. But to be absent from the body when one passes away is to be at home with the Lord. But the sixth and final affirmation is this, is that our faith is far from being pitied. Our faith is to be prized. Our faith is prized. I don't know how to say this with enough emphasis. Your name, if you're a believer, is written in the Lamb's book of life. What else would you care about? What else really matters? If if he wrote you in the Lamb's book of life, and he promised to give you eternal glory, and if he promised you a place where there's no more death and there's no more sorrow and there's no more pain and there's no more night, and at the second coming, he's going to give you a new body. Listen, I think you're the most fabulous people on the face of the earth to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Far from being a people that are pitied, you're to be prized. You get Christ. You get God. You get heaven. You get joy. You get that place. No more pain and sorrow. You will be raised. You say, but pastor, okay, that's awesome. Can, can you, can, what's the practical implication of the resurrection? I just got one final thing to say to you. What, 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 what can I take home from this today? I mean, how do I stay strong in life? How do I stay strong in, phys- in the midst of physical sickness? How do I stay strong in the midst of difficult relationships? I, I, Pastor, I hear you right now, but I've got a trial in my business. I've got a trial with the partner in my business. I'm battling against Satan. I'm battling against my flesh. I'm battling against my continual weakness. I'm battling against my conscience. I'm battling even for what my ministry looks like. And some of you have been hurt by people and hurt by churches and hurt by pastors. How do you carry on? How do you become a good mother in midst of all of this? How do you become a good father? How do you, and all the rest. Well, have you ever noticed the last verse of Corinthians? It may be the best, at least right now. Look at it. Go all the way down to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, therefore, it's a big therefore, right? And the therefore is the therefore because of what he said on the resurrection. He says, therefore, and you can put in parentheses, in light of the resurrection, he says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Not a precious truth. You've quoted that before. You've got it memorized. And sometimes what we memorize is this. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. And that's a great verse. But don't forget the first word of verse 58. It's the word therefore. And what Paul's saying is this. In light of the resurrection reality, we are given motivation for this life. And what he says to us, let me just touch on these. He says first, be steadfast. And the word steadfast means to be seated. It's the ideal of being permanently settled. You might say be seated and settled on what? Well, this. Go back to the beginning of chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you preached in you preached in vain. He just says, listen, you need to be settled and steadfast on the gospel. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the demonstration that all of Christ's claims and promises can be trusted. So be settled on the gospel. Be settled on the message. Be settled on the content of the gospel. But then he says, look there in 58. He says, not only be steadfast, but he says, be immovable. Similar to steadfast, but with greater intensity. The ideal is to, to immovable is to be immobile is the thought. Is to be motionless, okay? Not capable, capable of being moved from one place to the next. So in the context, obviously, don't move from what Paul has declared and preached. You don't need the latest new technology. You don't need the latest new new age theory or guru or teacher. You need to stay with the tried and true message of the gospel. Be settled on the gospel. Be settled on the resurrection truth. Sit on it. Stand on it. Don't be swayed from it. Stay the course. You need to keep following the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you'll note that he says always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, some of you have been discouraged. Some of you get to our place and you just feel like you've been beaten up. And um, I understand a little bit. I understand. I know sometimes churches at times can be difficult or people or a leader can be difficult. But listen, you can't get on the sideline. What Paul's saying is here, because of the resurrection, you need to be steadfast. Because of the resurrection, you need to be immovable on the gospel truth. Because of the resurrection, you need to always be abounding in what? The work of the Lord. You don't work for another pastor. You don't work for another leader. You don't work at this church for me. You do your work for the Lord. And he encourages us to keep going here. Remember, your work is for the Lord. You can't let personalities, you can't let weak churches, you can't let uh, even bad leaders hinder your work. You need to keep going. You say, well, Scott, well, what does that mean for me? Well, some of you get discouraged. And you need to remember that you need to always abound in the work of the Lord. You say, why? Because he's raised. Because he rose from the dead. Because he's alive. Because he's at the right hand interceding for you with his father with groanings too deep for words, the Holy Spirit. So listen, you need to keep going. Be steadfast knowing that your labor, look at the last word there, is not in vain. So beloved, our preaching is powerful. Our faith is purposeful. Our witness is pure. Our sins are pardoned. Our loved ones are placed in heaven. And our faith is prized. So you can have one of three responses today. Say, so what are those, Pastor? Acts 17. Paul was preaching on the resurrection. And some mocked him. That's typical. Some, some people's responses mock. Okay? But I think it's like Shay said this morning. Why is it so hard to believe that he could raise his son from the dead when he just spoke this world into existence? Why did he just say, let there be light and there was light and let there be mountains and there were mountains and let there be fish of the sea and as soon as he spoke it, as quick in the Hebrew as it was, why is it such a big thing that if he could speak the world into existence and create the world and put you on a ball right now that is spinning so fast in space that you're spinning here, he can raise somebody from the dead, but some mock it, some mock it. Acts 17 says, some delayed. That's a response. And what they said is, we'll hear again, we'll hear you again on this. So some people do. You might even be moved by what I'm saying. But your relationship with your boyfriend is more important than what I'm preaching on. And you'll delay. 
and you'll go out from this place and get caught maybe likely back into the world and you won't know joy, you won't know the power of Christ, you won't know harmony, and you'll delay. You might even be moved as I'm speaking, but you'll delay. That's Acts 17. Some mocked, some delayed, and thirdly, this would be my heart for you, is that some, what? They believed. They believed in the resurrection. Listen, beloved, our faith is credible. It stands on the person, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead. Amen. The tomb is empty. You have a faith that is credible. So some will mock, some will delay, and some will believe. But my heart is that you would put your hope and confidence in a great Savior that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a great Savior, don't we? Listen, let me just reason with you. What's better than following the Lord? There's nothing better. There's no greater joy. There's no greater reality than to know him. 